You're listening to Fight in Progress. With your hosts and stress coaches, founder of Under the Shield, Susan Simmons, and TomTheBomb.com. Fight in Progress grapples with the internal and external struggles in the daily lives of our men and women in law enforcement, the armed forces, and first responders. Tackling the tough topics and supporting those who support us. We hear you, and we're here for you. Welcome to Under the Shield. Welcome back to Under the Shield presents Fight in Progress. With your one of your hosts, Susan Simmons. And I'm Tom. <laughs> for now. Until <laughs> we come up with a better nickname? Not we, Joel. Oh, okay. Joel, it's all on Joel's you. Joel's job. It's all on Joel. Get real creative. Start <laughs> getting your thesaurus and, and all your cool kid stuff. I'm, and, I'm afraid of what he's going to oh, come I'm, up with. I can't wait. I'm excited. <laughs> you know, it doesn't take much to get me going at my age. Um, I'm thinking about all the Tom Cruise movies. Oh, Risky yeah. Business comes to mind. Oh, yeah. Maybe we can get him to dress that way when we start doing video, too. There, there's carpet Absolutely. in here. Otherwise, I could slide up to the doorway. There's our TikTok. There is the TikTok right there. Absolutely. You could almost do it in your in your traffic bureau in the office in there, but um, yeah, maybe. we might know. have to take a couple of takes. That'll make it even better. But anyway, who's our guest today? Because this is this is one you know a whole lot more about than I do. I'm just learning. Well, um, she had to learn how to support herself in her teens. Mm-hmm. Um, she worked hard doing several different jobs. Kind of a I don't know how those jobs led to the fire career, but we'll talk about that. Um, now, are you a Southerner, a Northerner, a Midwesterner? Where are you from? Well, I I was born in Bowling Green, Ohio. Okay. However, okay. I grew up in uh, Cocoa. <laughs> I grew up in Cocoa, Florida. Oh. I grew, grew up in Cocoa. Yes. My sister raised me from the age of uh, thirteen. Nice, nice place. But so I kind of love Florida. I consider that my home. Yes, it's a nice place to call home. Cindy was a trailblazer, though, because she started in fire way back in the 80s. Well, honey, you know, you men finally figured out y'all were born <laughs> stupid and you let women in to, to fix the problem. You know, it's funny. And even today, there's, I mean, we have gotten a lot more female firefighters, but it's not like it's super prevalent. Well, yeah. I, I just have to ask you, though, Cindy, being one of the trailblazers, did they expect you in the kitchen cooking <laughs> every time you were in there? Well, they they used to tease me. I have one uh, firefighter brother that I love him to death, and he's uh, he and his brother both came over, uh, escaped from Cuba oh, wow. in the '60s, and they both got hired by us. And he uh, he used to always we would pull up to the grocery store next to a, a child daycare center and all the girls would see me all the little kids would scream and scream and and he'd say she should be in the kitchen cooking she should be in the kitchen cooking and i'd say oh stop that i'd have gotten up walked into the kitchen and burned everything i could find we might have to have a fire response at the firehouse that's right just make a point yes sure absolutely But no, I um I I I had a really great time and and worked with a a, a diverse uh, diverse amount of different aged men came from various backgrounds obviously but I was, yeah I held my own. Did it take you a while or several different agencies before you would find one that would hire a female? 
No, the fire service doesn't like that. Uh, it took me a year to get hired with Broward County. It was Broward County Fire and Broward County EMS were separate entities at the time. They merged in the early 90s. But when I got hired, I got hired with Broward County Fire. It took me a year. The process in Florida, I'm not, I can't say it for all states, is first you have to go to fire school right. and get your state of Florida fire certificate. And then at the time, you had, you went because there was no internet. You went to uh, usually the fire service, the fire department uh, academy had uh, they had a um, uh, a board on the wall with all the different fire departments that were hiring or were going to be hiring. Mm -hmm. So once you had that certificate, you would call them and you would get put on a list. Uh, and then you would in go individually, and each individual department would have a written exam a physical agility exam, uh, an oral exam, and then they would put you on a list. And at that time, they would hire like one or two people. And the lists were good, usually about six months. Uh, now, the progressiveness uh, is basically a mesh test. And that's where, you know, several departments go in together sure. and they they create one master list. Yeah. And so it's it's much different now. But then, no, I tested for a year. Florida does things different for most public safety, I have found, <laughs> over the years. I actually had the they honor do. of speaking at something that was called, I want to say it was like Fire Rescue East, and it was everybody in fire on the East Coast came okay. to Florida. We were, where were, oh, we were in Daytona Beach. It was massive. Oh, I had a great time. That was one of the first fire conferences I ever got to speak to. Mm -hmm. And uh, yeah, it was a lot of fun. I, fi I found out firefighters are just as sick as police officers. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Yeah. Pretty much more. Yeah, we're a pretty crazy bunch. Yeah, yeah we are. Yeah, yeah. Sure. we used to tease with the with the with the uh, law enforcement all the time because they come into the station and hang out and they're like, you know, you guys are crazy. Or they would get gloves from us. You know, mm -hmm. we would give them gloves and things, but. They come in and, and uh, we just, you know, tease each other because we had the utmost respect for each other because they would definitely help me out uh, and, and do uh, scene safety prior to some uh, dicey calls sure. that you respond to. Well, you know why we so, do But yeah, they would always say, oh, I'm sorry. They would always say, you're crazy for nice, you know, we love going in burning buildings. You guys are nuts. We don't want to carry guns. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know why we give firefighters such a hard time, right? Because oh, we're jealous of it. Uh, now. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. They say, you guys get to work 24 hours and you get to sleep at the firehouse. And we're like, well, if you're lucky, you get to sleep. But yes, we do. We 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 said, we're sorry you stood in the wrong line. We were teaching a class uh, up in Lake Havasu just a few days ago. And we had fire and PD in there. And I was asking the PDs, I said, you know, what kind of shifts are y'all pulling, eight tens or 12s? And they said 12s, and one of the fire guys turned around to the other one and goes, see, they only work a half a day. <laughs> I was like, oh, that, that is good. true. <laughs> that is true. Yeah, you get very spoiled, actually, the 24-hour shifts and, you know, it's 48 hours off, that kind of thing. Yeah, that's, I, I fell in love with that. Yeah. Did we tell her what Lieutenant Colonel Dave Grossman says about fire? <laughs> uh -oh. Do you know Dave? Uh, what's his name? Lieutenant Colonel Dave Grossman. Mm -mm, He's written don't. some books on, on killing and on combat, and he trains police and fire all over the country. He can get away with this. I, I couldn't. <laughs> fire would walk out if I said it. So I'm going to let Tom say it so you don't get mad at me. <laughs> he, well, he basically said that 
um, fire is one of two, uh, two professions. professions that get paid while laying on their back. There you go. <laughs> Prostitutes yeah. and firefighters. And then he says, you eat, he says, you eat till you're tired and you sleep till you're, you're hungry. hungry. That's it. That's it. I know. Pretty, pretty great profession, I must say. Yeah. <laughs> and a lot of cops today are going, yeah, I went, yeah. I picked the wrong I should have went public safety. Way. I should have went, yeah, I should have been a firefighter. Yeah, it, it's, uh, I'm, I'm still very passionate about it protective of it. And that's, that's one of the reasons, you know, I wrote the book because people would ask me or they, they would have these preconceived ideas about really what it was like from watching too many TV shows. And uh, I wanted to express to them as women, you know, that might be interested in the fire service, little girls, obviously I mentored both men and women, but um, I wanted them to not, to get a, um, a realistic, uh, review of what it really takes or what it's like. Um, of course, my experience is different than than others, anybody else's. Sure. Uh, I, I've had women who uh, came to me um, and talked about how horrible uh, experiences they've had. Sure. And that's a shame. Right. But I've also had men tell me, you know, you need to talk to them. Sure. You need to talk to her uh, it, about certain things. There's just, you know, it's like anything else. You live and and eat and sleep in in this firehouse and run these calls, and you have to be prepared in a lot of different ways. Well, you're constantly training. Women enter a predominantly male world and still perceived to be a male world. You know that's going to happen, like military and law enforcement. And I know when I started this company thirty years ago. Um, and I was married and, and, and we kind of laughed and joked about how long would it be before I was labeled a badge bunny and I was just there to <laughs> sleep with everybody. And, mm-hmm. and so when mm-hmm. the rumors would start, I would spread the rumors cause it was the fastest way to kill them. If I'm the running around telling them, <laughs> tell them what they're, they're like, well, dang, that's no fun. Yeah. But I would yeah. like to get your take on, we are hearing here in the Chandler, Arizona area from firefighters that they're hearing rumors that firefighters are going to start wearing body cams just like police officers. And I just wonder what your thought, you know, my first thought is if you're out on a medical call, I'm not sure if we don't have some HIPAA issues there, but what have you right. heard this or know of any departments that's happening with? I haven't heard uh, body cams. Um, I know that uh, there are departments uh, that are using body armor and those sorts of things. Um, And we actually have SWATs, you know, some of our paramedics become SWAT members because of that. But uh, body cams, you know, my feeling on that is no, I I don't like that idea. Um, I think what's happening is how many hats do you want us to wear? How much documentation do you want us to have to do? Um, You know, for me personally, I started out as a firefighter. Being an EMT was like the cream of the crop in the 80s, and I became an EMT right after fire school. Then, guess what? You merged with uh, Broward EMS, and you had to become a paramedic. Otherwise, you would not ever be able to get promoted. And that's in addition to going up through the chain uh, career ladder with driver, engineer, and then lieutenant. And I did all of those things and then became a paramedic at 15 years into my career. So now I'm responsible for both medical fire and anything else in between. Mm -hmm. As an officer, you have all the responsibility of everything else. Now you're asking me to wear a body cam because you don't trust me or you don't trust uh, the patients. And again, a, a HIPAA 
violation. And everything is just, you know, when you're in an emergency call, in my opinion, you have a lot of things to worry about. And I don't think that you should have to worry about a body cam. Yeah, because, you know, you're talking about somebody's in crisis. You got to cut shirts, bras. Coats, you have to do and... so many things immediately and yeah. to have to worry about a body cam. Is it on? Did you check it in the morning? Is the battery, if, you know, all of those functional things right. have to be uh, correct. And it's all re- going to require a lot of documentation. I don't think that I personally don't feel it's a great idea. I just don't. Have because... you even heard that, though, that. You know, I haven't heard of body cams. I'd have to check with some people that I know that are, uh, you know, chiefs and, and are on the job. But yeah. I personally haven't heard of body cams. Yeah, no. most of them here do have, I know Phoenix has access to body armor. Right. Because uh, they actually had drive-by shootings at some of the Phoenix firehouses a few years back. Sure, sure. And, um, well, it's happening everywhere. Um, that's why, again, I'm not big on body armor either. Mm-hmm. But my feeling is, is that's where, that's where you know, I really, really depended not only on my judgment, my crew's judgment, listening to dispatch, and you had to become a detective. You had to at, really <laughs> learn how to ask. Because sometimes when the call came in, it was completely different. Than when you get sure. there, uh, and unknown uh, unknown medical was always a really kind of scary one. Sure, sure. Because an unknown medical, yeah, it can turn anything. out to be yeah. anything. <laughs> and, and so I, 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 you know, you really rely on law enforcement yeah. to do their job, and their job was to to we would we would park a block away sure. from the actual incident. Yeah. Until the scene was deemed safe, they cleared the scene and they were on scene of any kind of a domestic uh, shooting or anything. Well, and so know. I feel like that's what you need to do. And you know now the problem is is there's such short staffing in law enforcement everywhere. Sometimes fire is probably going to get there and maybe even need to intervene in some regards with somebody laying in the middle of the road or whatever. And it can take a while for PD to get there, right. especially in Phoenix right, right. now because they're so short staffed. So is fire. Fire is short staffed too. I think for me writing the book, I'm hoping that maybe, maybe in some small way on my part, it would reignite people to the, uh, the wonderful profession that it is, but it's, it's gotten a bad rap as well as uh, law enforcement. And we need, we need both. I mean, that's what governs a society and keeps things moving, but it both, both jobs have taken a hit recently. You know, fire in, your, is also. in your book, you said something about when you first started in the fire academy that somebody in city government, someplace up the chain, um, thought it was a good idea to have police officers dual certified. Yes, <laughs> yes, no, they were. No. Called, yes, no. they were called public safety officers, and they did that program in a few places in Florida, yeah. and they failed miserably because, <laughs> as you can imagine, two distinct different professions. Right. And, you know, when somebody's overdosed or we would go in homes and basically, you know, you'd see stuff you like, you know, they're showing up, right? You need to, you know, we need to know what you did. You, what, you need, you what did you do? <laughs> yes. What did you do? And we need to know now how much. We, I don't care what you did. But if, if if they were even able to tell us, sometimes they weren't even able to tell us. Tell us now before so, the cops uh, arrive. Well, well, it's funny. Right. When I moved out here in Alabama. <laughs> 
we didn't have police officers certified. Are they called phlebotomists out here? Yes. Okay. And so when I get out here and I'm at Chandler PD and I have these guys walking by and I have great veins in my hands and they're walking by, ooh, we want those. And I'm like, you know what? Especially if this is about whether I've been drinking or not, I'll just confess because I ain't letting a cop near me with a needle. Now, I'll let a paramedic EMT firefighter prick my finger yes. to take some blood. Yes. But no cop yes. is coming near me. With a needle. Uh-uh. It ain't happening. I, I got trained as a phlebotomist. Well, you ain't, no, it ain't happening. It, you know, it's no. not that big a deal. Oh, yeah, it is. For but me, you know what was it's fun? not it was, for you. It was really fun when the, the <laughs> drunk person decided they didn't want to you yeah. know, submit to the blood test. Sure. And then we'd hold them down, and then oh, I no. would just tell them, hey, look, the needle's going in. It just depends on how you want it to go in. No, there's not enough of y'all to hold me down because I know you people. I'll hunt you down. No, I'll just confess there on camera. Turn your body cams on. Yeah, I'm guilty. I'm drunk out of my mind. Whatever, but you ain't sticking me. But here's the funny thing about um, when Cindy said that the police officers were dual rolled. Oh, yeah. So they, a couple of them went to Fire Academy did. with her. Flunked and, out. And she ended up riding in the back of their police car. To class almost every day. Oh, you know, Cindy, we should, we should have had a conversation before you did that, honey. I'd have put one of them in the back seat. Because you know, they have a tendency to not let you out of the back when they want to screw that, they, they used to They used to threaten me all the time. Uh -huh. And little did I know, I, I had a... Volkswagen that used to break down all the time and I wanted to save it so I would uh you know ride to, ride to the fire academy with them and they'd throw me in the back and yes they used to tease me well you know we don't have to let you out well, yeah, but they did they were they were good guys and the one guy I talk about is he was this big huge mammoth of a guy was his name Heart of gold. <laughs> yeah. but he uh he would he would they had to they had to specially order him a size 52 bunker coat and uh he would freeze on a ladder like a five-year-old little girl <laughs> he would just freeze cold. we're talking yeah, about no. not moving. we're talking <laughs> petrified so you know but but they they both passed but you know that program and didn't last long because it's just it's just not you know yeah but it's I just two different two different jobs two different right. personalities but what was the purpose I, I can almost understand possibly something like that trying it. it won't work any better today but back then was there that much short staffing in fire they just got more bang for their buck and that was before actually fire departments had uh uh, required you to become a paramedic. Then they realized that mess, mixing, uh, uh, matching a paramedic, being dual certified as a firefighter, made a lot more sense sure. than you know law enforcement. Right. Yeah, and so that's very common. So it's a it's most most urban departments. I don't know where you live or, or but a lot of urban departments, particularly in South Florida, and um, they they you have to be both in order to. Um, now get hired or uh back in the day when they merged when i was on the job you had like um if you wanted to promote there were single certified people that did not want to be a paramedic or they did not want to be a firefighter they were pretty much their career was pretty much uh shorted just by the number of opportunities and stations that they could work at and some of them were fine with it i i work with paramedics honestly if, if you're ever in broward county they were some of the most progressive uh brilliant some them became doctors but they were brilliant and i and i learned from them and as an emt i just i always said you know i i work with a good em 
guarantee in a, over a bad paramedic, and mm-hmm. but I worked with brilliant ones, sure. and I learned. And that's not why I got into the job. I loved going. In, I loved burning buildings. I loved all the fire I mean, stuff. I, I loved everything about because you and I cut from the same cloth. <laughs> I don't. I don't even like roaches. But if they're running out of a building, I'm going the same direction they are. So um, I, have oh, I loved to it. You. I respect you. But it's constant training, and it's um, you know, it's it, it was just uh, it was a career that spoke to me like sure. nothing else ever did sure so you like burning buildings but that has nothing to do with what your first fire you got to put out oh this ought to be good <laughs> yeah the port john the port john fire yes i said that was my mother's that was my mother speaking from heaven going now you're not going to get pooped on anymore because i grew up in a house with no inside bathroom and it was a very embarrassing i grew up in poverty Mm-hmm. And it was a very uh, humbling experience to be a little girl with no inside bathroom. And my, you know, I say a pot behind a curtain and my mother and we had an outhouse and my mother would have to uh, dispose of uh, everything, uh, whether it was wintertime or not. And sure. that's, you know, that's northern Ohio. Wow. So it was cold, but she was tough. My mother was um she was a lion. She had a sixth grade education, more common sense than probably most people. <laughs> Boy, don't we need that today? Yes. Less academia and a whole uh, lot more uh, common sense. If we could just teach We used that. to say common sense isn't so common anymore. Yeah, and uh, it's left the building for and sure. It left the building. And but uh but yeah, my first fire was just that and that's so funny because of my background they thought that would just really gross me out i was like not really yeah, okay. <laughs> see but that's community service there because to let that see my philosophy let that baby burn and i'm out of here um but yeah that could have been a really stinky problem yeah. for uh-huh it, but how did what started the what's in a port of john that yeah. starts a fire surely somebody was stupid and said uh, probably somebody started with i you know that i can remember maybe you know started it started the toilet paper on fire they, they you know what i mean thought, vandalism with fire see see i yeah, don't like porter yeah. johns as it is now i got something else to worry about now i gotta <laughs> fire first thanks Cindy. <laughs> yeah now it's the toilet paper product inside of them yeah but uh, wow, yeah somebody yeah. needed help bad yes yeah you know, do you remember the three rules that your EMT instructor gave your class? You wrote about uh, it. Yes. Uh, it, it's uh, be empathetic, right. not sympathetic. It's not our crisis. No, it's, 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 it's their crisis, not our crisis. Good, right. good lesson. And uh, if nobody, you know, if the rescuer goes down, who's going to rescue the rescuer? Yep. And there was one other one. Yeah, it was uh, stress um, is what you create for yourself. Stress is what you create for yourself. And you know, <laughs> that he was uh, he was a brilliant uh, paramedic, and he went uh, to become a fire chief of a big department. I mean, he was he was from Tennessee, did mountain rescue. Uh, he he was brilliant. But I'll never forget the first day of class, EMT school. Those were his lessons, and I never forgot them uh, because yeah, it is true. I think they're good, um, especially for fire. I, I'm not so sure about stress is what we create for ourselves because, I mean, look at the calls that you had to go to. Those were stressful calls. How we handle it based on perception right. is, right. is ours is, is right. to determine, that's, not the that's, stressor itself. Yeah. Not the stress itself, right. but right, yeah. right. And, and you know, you, you really have to learn to multitask but, but have uh, the ability to block out all of the uh, – 
outside things that are going on, whether you're in a crowd of in a, in a really bad area or there's a lot of people screaming and a lot of things going on and, you know, or there's a lot of patients or there's just different things going on. You have to be able to prioritize those right. and, 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 and really concentrate. You have to be able as an officer, I had to learn to delegate. Mm-hmm. And that was a little difficult because I'm hands on, but I had to learn. Mm-hmm. And I had a captain that I worked for that taught me that. He said, you, you can't be, you know, somebody has to lead the orchestra. He told me, he said, you, you know, of course, if, 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 if time, if there aren't enough hands, of course, you're going to jump in. That's right. just common sense. Sure. Sure. But yeah, if, well, you, I- if you get a crew, uh, you have to be able to delegate to them because you have a job and you have to be able to delegate to them. And then when you're the first on a scene that might require several uh, engine companies or trucks, uh, maybe an uh, MCI incident until you're relieved by a higher authority, such as a battalion chief, you have to be able to prioritize all of that. Sure. Yeah. sure. And that takes a lot. You know, you learn to really multitask. Well, the know? problem is, is you can't prepare for everything. So you're constantly having to assess. It isn't like it, there's a, a standard call for this and a standard call for that, because there's always different variables. Right. You have protocols and you have, uh, you know, uh, SOPs, Mm -hmm. that sort of thing. However, that's what I found the most exciting. I love the fact that I didn't know. And I love the fact that something that I thought, you know, by that came in over dispatch is saying unknown medical. And then you, you know, you're saying, okay, is there any update? Well, uh, actually there were shots fired in the area or, you know, there are multiple calls that this is smoke showing or, you, you know, things like that. And then you would try to, uh, assess, you would reassess the situation on in route right. to the call. I loved that part of it. Mm-hmm. I always say, I, I found out myself that I got bored very easily and, and, you know, I love nurses. <laughs> my sister, I, I, my nurse, my sister-in-law taught nursing. I have lots of friends who are nurses and I'm so, uh, you know, proud to call them my friends, but I could never be a nurse. And they said, well, you're a paramedic. I said, yes, because guess what? I, uh, you know, my crew and I assess you, we package you and hopefully your outcome is good. Drop you off at the ER as <laughs> where you should need to be and uh, hope your outcome is good. Bye. Now, not to say hours later, you know, ERs, you don't just go in and get out or go to a floor. I would go and I would talk to them. You know, they would, they would say, oh my God, after like five patients, I'm still seeing the first one I brought in. And I would check on them, but you know, nurses—they have to—they take them through all those steps. Well, you're yeah, especially for nurses. What we teach first responders in public safety, and that all of you, and you got it, have ADD or ADHD, which means you're of higher IQ, and you're adrenaline junkies <laughs> yep. and your caregivers. Yes. So no yes. wonder you stayed in it 30 years. You were cut <laughs> out for this job. Yes, and I never thought, obviously, that I would be doing a career like that. What yeah, you first, I was. What, what, what yeah, first I mean, led you to that? You had all those uh, crazy variety of jobs leading up to it, but how did you get interested and said, "Oh, I want to be a firefighter"? Uh, actually, I think it found me. I had a boyfriend that we had lived together. I stay in my book. You know, I was seventeen years old, and uh, he was uh, six years older. And and basically, we moved to Fort Lauderdale. He became a for he he got a job in the forestry department. Met a guy and said, "Who's a firefighter?" Said, "You need to become a firefighter." So he did. I I helped him go through school. 
I did a lot of uh, races. I was always active. And I had a job of the week club, and I was getting really bored. I was in my uh, later 20s, mid-20s to late 20s, and I'm thinking, I just don't know. But I would go out to the firehouse and have dinner with him and, you know, look cute. I was modeling at the time, and I had a job of the week. I was a secretary, a bank teller, all these different jobs to, you know, keep a roof over our heads. And his chief said to me, you need to become a firefighter. And I said, you're nuts. No, you're crazy. <laughs> and all the guys at the table, I'm looking down at all these firefighters that I knew. Mm-hmm. And they're looking, they're like, yeah. They didn't say, oh, are you kidding? They're, Cindy, yes, you need to. We will help you. We see you're in great shape. You have a great personality. It's a new and upcoming field, obviously, in the 80s mm-hmm. for women. And I said, no, nah, you're nuts. And so <laughs> as, t- as fate had it, uh, the boyfriend and I broke up. We and I moved to Texas. Came back after a short period of time and didn't know what I was going to do with myself. I was a secretary and just going. I, I just can't do this the rest of my life. What am I going to do? Remembered that. Went to the unemployment office. And as I say in my book, uh, I uh, my great great grandfather uh, or great grandfather was a full blooded Mohawk Indian, and I had a note from my mother saying he was he had to get back in the day he had to he couldn't read or write so he had to go before a judge and get it notarized and he had his act so i had the note in a in my uh drawer for years frankly kind of ashamed of being american indian i i, I can't crazy thing to say but i was uh northwestern northwestern ohio was not a really good place if you're american indian dark skin dark hair at the time mm-hmm. so anyway they said if you're american indian call this number Called the number, met up with a lady, and told her I want to be a firefighter, but I, I don't have a hundred dollars for the fire academy because yep. that's what it cost at the time. Wow, I don't have it. I'm broke. She said, "You want to be a firefighter?" I'm like, <laughs> "Yes, I do." And so they they provided she provided me with uh you know the the tools financially to to go to fire school. Wow, and I never looked back. I knew from day one. I found myself. And that was before I was even getting a paycheck. I mean, you have to go and get your certification and make it right. make it through a lot of things. Sure. A lot of training. And then the state uh the guy from this from Ocala, which is where the uh the uh, fire academy, the state guys are from, they come down and they test you and uh time you and I passed. Hmm. So then the real work began and I hmm. tested for a year. How did you know. that test change over the years? Did they, as more women came into this, did they have different qualifications for women versus men, or were you expected to no. do the exact same thing? No, they should never change. I they agree. never did. I yeah. agree. They never should change. I, I don't care, you know, what, you know, what people try to say. If you don't have equal footing, yep. you will never be um, – you know, you'll always you'll always have people second guess you, right. and yep. and especially men. I mean, you're you're going into to situations that are, you know, saving lives, including maybe your own or one of your colleagues, your crew members. You have to be, you have to be on the same level. You can't you Good. can't change uh, the rules for women. No. I agree with you. 100%. And I was lucky. Yes, hundred percent. And I was lucky. I did everything the men did, and the woman that I got. With she was a triathlete, 
tough as nails. She was tough. We always said she'd be chief for any of us did. But um, and then there was a third woman that actually came on. I speak a little bit about her, but she was a uh, trapeze artist in the circus. Oh, funny. She was so strong and fit and drop dead gorgeous. But she was too. So there were really three of us. But the, but I got hired uh, in 1987, and I got I came on with one other woman, wow. and she was the triathlete. Nice. And we basically, you know, as tough as it got, and it was tough. We made a pact in the bathroom at the fire academy <laughs> when we went through boot camp because once you get hired, we went through five and a half weeks of really intense training and learning the protocols for the department that we got hired with. And so after that. Then you're on probation for a year. You're called a probie, and they can they test you, and you could get fired like that. There's no union representation or anything for that first year. But anyway, we made a pact. As hard and as as, you know, if we wanted to cry, we could cry in the bathroom. But once we (laughs) set foot outside that bathroom, we stuck our you know, we stood up straight, and nobody would know anything. Absolutely, and we and that's how we played it. Good for you. How long? How long ago did you retire? And I apologize, I hadn't had time to read. I haven't had time to read a book in about ten years. But um, how long ago did you retire? I retired on the same day I got hired. Exactly twenty eight years later, June eighth. I got hired June eighth, nineteen or nineteen eighty seven, and I retired in twenty fifteen. Nice. And what are you doing now? Are you speaking? Are you teaching? Are you teaching? Um, you know, it's funny because I, I talk about it in the book as well. I, I had a very difficult time after retirement. It's a very difficult thing to leave a job like that. Um, not everybody has that problem. A lot do. I was one of them. My husband, on the other hand, walked away and was like, hey, I've given myself to public service since I was 18. I was He was in the Coast Guard, and then he joined the fire service. Me, on the other hand, it defined me. It made me feel uh, like I had a coat of armor on, and I felt so powerful and strong and had worked so hard, loved the camaraderie, loved the adrenaline rush, that I went through a really difficult time, and that is in the book when I retired. Right. It's really hard to go to work at Walmart after you've done that job. <laughs> yes, <laughs> Nothing it, against Walmart, but, but it's, it's, it's very difficult. Where do you go from a job like that? See, right. it's different you, for police. You know? yeah. See, Tom could go be a greeter at Walmart and probably do more police work <laughs> retired than he did uh, be- before when he was actually on a motor. Right. But remember, he was a motor cop. <laughs> He was one of there the There you go. Yeah, you know, there you go. Yeah, well, whatever. that's the thing. You retire, you're still on it. You know, I don't even care how long you've been retired. You see something. My uh, my husband oh, yeah. and I don't even have to say a word. Yep. We'll be anywhere. And all of a sudden, we'll go, yep. <laughs> and, yeah. and you know something's going to happen. You know it. You I, know somebody's going to have a medical myself, problem. I find myself driving around and seeing someone, you know, do a traffic violation and think, that guy needs a ticket. Yeah, I don't have red and blues anymore. But it won't be for me. <laughs> I think the hardest thing for me was I kept feeling like I was on vacation. Right. When, and it was when like, is vacation? When, when do I have to go back to work? When do I have to go back soon to work? As soon as I told you, and then, get your that's and, true. Then, and then Susan said, hey, I need you to work. Yeah. Okay. Yep. Yeah. Well, what happened with me is I just, uh, like I said, I had, I, I combined my, my love of writing um, because I used to write things as a little kid. I had a bunch of poetry, all kinds of crazy stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and it reignited when I got my fire degree, my uh, associate's degree in fire science. And we had to do English comp. 
And it was funny because everything, I never even had to think about it and got an A. My husband, on the other hand, is brilliant, but he can't write. <laughs> and he would say, oh, my God, you need to do something with that. So I, I, long story short, after I retired, I just started thinking about it mm-hmm. and putting it together. And uh, originally, originally, I, I had a little tiny candle with a keyboard. And I was uh, on the West Coast looking at the ocean and saying, what am I going to do? And I just started writing on this little tiny candle, you know, typing. <laughs> and um, that's how it started. And then, you know, I had it put together. And of course, once I found an editor, uh, it went from like a bunch of stories to working for hard for a year. Mm-hmm. And I learned so much about writing from her and putting it together and taking, you know, a 22, you know, like a short stories into, you know, a, a respectable book, right, sure. I feel. Sure. Yeah, and I'm very proud of it. But you know, and I have another one I'm working on now that that I, you know. So it's not my it's not my last. But but you know, people like yourself and Tom and you know, I I hate using the word target around law enforcement, especially. Um, yeah. But you know, the retirees to me, we really do ourselves a huge disservice to let y'all get the training, have the experiences, all of that stuff, and then we let you go sit at home. And the reality is, is, you know, you need to be teaching in a fire academy somewhere or speaking at conferences. And, you know, if you only do it a couple of times a year, but, you know, I'm, I'm seeing visions of a stress coach here in, <laughs> yeah. in Cindy and she can, do it. she can do it from wherever she wants to do it from. <laughs> um, but, you know, to me, y'all are the ones that can really speak to these uh, upcoming, whether they're young, older, right. getting into it, whatever. Sure. Because, sure. you know, I've never been a cop, and that's a there's a reason for that, because I just shoot everybody. Um, and I'm not a firefighter, because, again, fire and I don't see. <laughs> that's just not something in my vocabulary. <laughs> but if somebody had challenged me, I was thinking when you were saying everybody was telling you you should be a firefighter. See, if somebody had challenged me in my 20s, 30s, maybe even in my 40s, and said, Susan, you'd never make it at the fire academy. Yeah. Here, hold my beer. Watch this. <laughs> um, I, I probably would have done it. But we need we need all of your experiences and all mm-hmm. of the lessons you've learned, the good, the bad, and the ugly, mm-hmm. um, because mm-hmm. that's how others learn. Well, I know, like, working with you and Under the Shield, I, I mean, that's – I deal with the same population that I worked with for 27 years. So yeah. it's wow. it's kind of nice that it doesn't mm-hmm. feel like I've, I'm out of touch with those people anymore. So it might be something well, you want to think about. Consider being a stress coach. Thinking, I'm thinking about a lot of different things that I'd like to do because, again, I felt I had a very difficult time. And, and if you read my book, you read, you read, I did. Right, yeah. In the end, uh, yeah, uh, after the bay door closes, mm-hmm. and and the things that I've that I went through, uh, it was a combination of things: uh, retirement, moving across the country, lost my German Shepherd uh, unexpectedly, and a lot of things, and just again losing my identity. Sure. Uh, but in the future, that's one of the reasons I wrote the book. I love the podcast. I love going out and talking to people. I just don't, when you talk about training, um, instructors at the fire Academy, you have to be committed and you have to be in one place and you just really have to be devoted to right. that physical training. I always say I worked with brilliant firefighters. Was I the most brilliant? No, but, um, <laughs> I have, uh, there is a place for, for my expertise and knowledge and wisdom, I think with. Yes. Especially at you know, really trying to right. right 
trying to help trying uh, you know trying to help people and like i said i mentored young women i mentored women that were on the job that were having problems um i had women come to me secretly and say hey this was happening or that was happening and i also had men as well come to me mm-hmm. so you know to be able to offer advice or listen to them because i've been out of it uh Things have changed. COVID changed everything for them. Uh, I talked to a few of them. I'm hoping to get back to my department in the fall. And um, actually, it's kind of fun because some of the old timers I work with, obviously all retired, they're like, well, you have to come to our retirement lunch so you can sign our books. And, you know, and then I had one just touch base. Am I in your book? And now I'm like, no, you're not. You should have said buy it and read it and find out for yourself. (laughs) Sell another book. Come on. Well, that was the funny thing too. You know, you work with an editor and uh, there were a lot of things in that book that she's like, no, you can't say that. No, you can't do that. And then there were things on, that I fought her on. I said, no, this is going to stay exactly the way I want it. Sure. And so it's it's a process to, to, to put a book together that, um, you know, that you're proud of, that is an honest portrayal, but isn't so... Uh, I guess bare bones are awful, but you know, I didn't write a book. I, I say I didn't, ma- I don't mail bash. Mm-hmm. I don't, no, I'm not going to. I worked with wonderful men of all ages, and some of the oldest, crustiest men I worked with gave me the benefit of the doubt. I don't know if they were just kind of a amused or, or what but they knew i could do the job mm-hmm. so I, I i work and i work with some young ones that challenged me oh they challenged sure um so um but i'm not male bashing and, and i'm not female bashing i also work with females uh that had different temperaments that thought that you know they should be in charge and it's like no you're not sure you're not in charge sure. i am you know i was so, thinking about uh, um yeah. hazing how much kind of hazing did you have to go through especially new and then being a female and, and at that time right yeah especially did you have a lot of hazing i tell a funny story in my book about hazing on the most um sweet level really <laughs> i worked uh, i got hired and i worked uh, the first night i got hired uh the battalion chief gave me his room because they didn't know what to do. And oh, he got chastised for that and never did that again. So I slept in a room with two guys, uh, blue shirts, you know, and it was an eight by 10 bedroom. And we each had a twin bed that basically touched each other. And we basically, when we got up for calls, we bumped heads. <laughs> and so the other the other two guys decided that they were going to do a little hazing. <laughs> so we had, you know, caster wheel, you know, wheels on the beds. And so they removed the wheels and they put pencils. And they put all four wheels on the pen, all four uh, corners of the bed on pencils, and they put aerosol cans underneath the bed, so that they thought when I plopped down to go to sleep, you know that would be the hazing. You know they would the aerosol cans would go off, and and you know, and I have to explain this to the younger people because they're like <laughs> yeah, aerosol cans, and what, yeah, they're like they didn't even know what it was. So anyway, I was very light and in shape, and so I plop down and I get a, I don't plop down. I lay down on my bed. I really nice sleep, wake up and they're both looking at me. And I'm like, why, why are you guys looking at me? They're like, Oh my God, you're like the princess in the pea. You're so light. <laughs> that didn't work out well, did it? <laughs> no, nah, that did not work out well. So they told me what they did. Um, I, I did showers and bathrooms work though. 
Well, I I actually had um, uh, I had to share bathrooms, uh, not at the same time, obviously, but I would go in and lock the door. But no, for for a long, long time, we we didn't have separate women's quarters or women's bathrooms. And even as an officer, you didn't have your own quarters. It, later on, I did, and I loved it. Uh, as a captain, I even had like my own ensuite, which was to me like you know being in the Ritz, although it wasn't. It was really nice. But uh, no, I didn't. And so you know, I would get up early and you know, do what I needed to do and fold my clothes. And I always put everything in a corner, nice and neat away from everything. I was very conscientious about that. And then later on, when I was the only woman and there were two bathrooms, you know, we'd have stinky fire calls or nasty calls. And there's like, you know, maybe five of them and one of me, I'd say, listen, just you can use that. I'm not going to tell you you can't use my bathroom. Just make sure that you, you know, wipe everything down yeah, and make up. it, clean you know, up. Yeah. clean up after yourselves. Put That's all down. I ask. Put so, the toilet seat yeah. down. Right. Do, do, do the things that you need to do to make it, you know habitable for me when I go in there but I I was very you know I always felt like that's the fair thing to do sure yeah. sure um, you know, I but did. yeah I didn't, I didn't have those like you know bathrooms where everybody went in and showered together I mean we didn't do that we, no, that, that probably that. wouldn't have been recommended either uh, no when I was reading no, we used to have one I I forgot to put in my I didn't put it in my book I worked at a station that had one bathroom and the bathroom door was right you came out of the bathroom and there's the couch with the three guys sitting on it watching tv <laughs> and so that was always kind of a fun thing when you went in there and you're like oh yeah uh, you know yeah I, I just this, yep we know what's happening in there just, right now yep mm -hmm. that's just not really comfortable and then you open the door and there are three of them sitting on a couch like three feet away from the you well i've always said you. men are obsessed with bodily function from birth to death they never out oh they are oh yeah they turn into i always say you guys all turn into 12 year old little boys yes <laughs> you're giving because i'd sleep yeah. i'd probably keep I'd a little sleep. younger but yeah, yeah. Becky, yeah, Becky I sleep in this five-year-old. Yeah. yeah, yeah, I sleep in a big bunk room. You know, different stations where it was like a college dorm. Sure. And so there's literally, you know, three different units with three or four people on them. We're all sleeping in this big room, and it's like, oh my god, you hear them, you know, burping and farting Snoring. and and, and yeah. all you would, you know, and there'd be like, I swear, a haze in the room. I'm like, ah. Oh. God, you guys. Yep. Yeah, and they, they would just laugh. And they, they do the thing under their arm to make it sound they like just, they're yep, and, the, and they're laughing the whole time, like 12-year-old little boys. Yep. Yep. Clothes everywhere. Uh, oh, yeah, it doesn't change now. So yeah. that was always a, a kind of a fun, a fun thing. Sure. But uh, as a female, you know, you just, I mean, I, you know, I keep those things to myself. Well, so. sometimes <laughs> you're, you're worse to react because it's only going to encourage them. You know, yes, that's true. And if you that's just kind of look at them like whatever, they it loses yeah. the effect. <laughs> that's right. Yeah, it's not as. But much you know, and I I love that part of it, and I mean, we were family. Sure. I mean, you're family. You yeah. you you really are, and so you see people. You know, you see men. I've I've seen a lot of men I work with going through really difficult times yeah. in their personal lives. Yes, um, with their children or their spouses or the deaths of of their family members and and so we console each other on that as well see and i think that's and, an advantage that firefighters have is because you guys work as a crew you stay in the house as a crew and you, mm -hmm. you have that time to learn more about each other what's going on and to help each other through those rough patches whether it's something personal or something bad from the call. job right bad call yeah. or a bad call you yes. know one thing that uh, you did that i was really impressed with uh 
though you say that you like to write, um, but in your book, you said that a lot of times after the calls, you'd come back and you'd go to your bunk and you'd write about the calls. And that, mm -hmm. you know, huge, I, yeah. I was like, wow, that's so therapeutic that you probably didn't even realize how helpful that was to kind of empty that garbage out of your system, you know? Yeah. Uh -huh. yeah. Uh -huh. You know, I was, I was, um, it's kind of strange because we didn't have the uh, uh, CISD right. training. Uh, we didn't have the people that would come around in the beginning and, and actually talk about it. it was kind of poo pooed. Yeah. You know, you were you. you know, we don't need that. We don't. We don't. We don't need that. Right. Yeah. Right. I know. We don't need that. And um, I had a uh, I talk about a fire uh, where I was an EMT, but there were eleven. I think it was a, a, a an illegal uh, an ALF fire, and there were like eleven victims. And so they made us do it. I'm like, I'm not going. And they're like, Oh yeah, you're going. Oh, and I had, had I think I had a couple of years on the job of that. And it was amazing. Those people that train and do that, they brought out stuff in me, and it was it was so valuable. Sure. But it's very difficult to get. Um, you know, first responders to talk about it. And a lot of the time when I was on, the chiefs would just say, you know, suck it up, buttercup, and go on to the next. Yep. Yeah, and so, um, yeah, I'm told yeah, I've got our mind tricks to get them to talk to me. And they'll come <laughs> in and they'll go, now I'm not going to be here two hours. And I go, I, you can be here as long as you want. And they'll look down, they'll go, damn, I've been here almost five hours. What, what <laughs> yes. are you doing to me? Yes. I ain't doing nothing. Yes. Yes. It, it's amazing. Well, the, ne the next book that I'm already working on, I've had so many firefighters reach out to me and tell me different stories about their problems with PTSD since retirement. Right. Sure. That um, I'm working on a book and I at first time that uh, does time heal and then I've changed it to uh, should time heal mm -hmm. and so I'm working on that and I hope to uh, put that together with uh, in a way that's not just head banging negative stories because nobody wants to read you know that right. and I want to put it together and I want to reach out to different firefighters and uh, first responders and have all the proceeds uh, other than the cost of editing the book go to uh the uh ptsd for first responders mm -hmm. yeah, that's and that's what i'm working on awesome for awesome. that'll be probably a year but that, but i've 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 had people reach out to me that uh i have one guy he's a captain he's been retired for quite a few years his father was a captain now his father's in his probably late 70s maybe 80s he told me stories about his father still having ptsd wow and, uh, thanks. Yeah. yeah we, so I'm we, like, we have a little different philosophy at Under the Shield because we believe it's an injury, not a disorder. And because we've seen so many, again, dealing with 9 11, um, oh, yeah. actually heal from it. And a lot of it, the difference comes down to whether or not you have someone helping you who truly has an understanding or uh -huh. are they in it basically for the business. And so there's uh -huh. no motivation to get you better. Because it means you keep yeah. going back because disorder means permanent. Oh, sure. Sure. That makes sense. I, I always have the philosophy, uh, you know, there we all have ghosts in the in their like library books in our memories. Yeah. And sometimes they come out. And sometimes like we talk about all the time, we got on to Fort Lauderdale. Mm -hmm. There's places it's like you can see it like it happened yesterday. I mean, you go to a place where that you drive by a certain place, you're on a certain highway, you look at a certain and it comes back to you. It does. Sure. But uh, is it harmful? No. Is it debilitating? No, exactly. not for us. Exactly. Because I look at it like we're not we're not the higher power. If myself and my crew have done everything in our power 
to mitigate that crisis for you and the outcome uh, can be positive, hopefully, but if it's not, it's not. That's it yes. for me. Yes. And that's how my husband looked at it too. It's, it, it, you can't second guess. Um, you can't second guess that. However, I've had uh, several first responders who have retired come to me and tell me, you know, horrific, you know, therapies are going through or things that have happened to them. And they're like, Cindy, you have to write that book. Yeah. You have to. And so I'm kind of working it in a way that, like I said, I don't want it to be some negative book that is like, ah, but I want to kind of create something that um, that hopefully will be helpful to the PTSD for first responders, but also let people understand and, and maybe help, help heal some of those guys and women. Well, that, you know, you're not going to save everybody. Give them hope. You know, yes. too many times yes. that label of PTSD makes them victims. And they get stuck in that rut. And right. that's what we it try does. not to do. We tell them it's like a broken bone. Right. You know, if you yeah. break your bone and, and think you can just walk it off, in your leg, it's going to disable you. Or if you go sure. to a ear, nose and throat or dentist or somebody for a broken bone, they don't know what they're doing, but right. go to someone that truly understands trauma mm-hmm. and what we call the psychological garbage can help them empty it. They're not yes. going to, you're not going to erase the memory, nor should you, because yeah. we learn from those things, but right. we right. can work through it. And as Lieutenant Colonel Dave Grossman says, when you can separate the memory from the emotion, it no longer yes. controls you. That's right. And that's, that's what right. we do. That's exactly And that's what, what that's what I think is so important. And that's why the other day it was so funny. I get these things and I it's like I keep a pad and a pen because I have to, you know, uh I have to write when I'm because I won't remember it if I don't. But um I changed it to to should time heal because of that. Because of I think our experiences make us who we are and, and whether we allow them to, again, like be, make us victims or uh, help us heal is, is a huge thing. And that's part of life. Well, and you know, the so, writing you were taught, Tom was talking about, you know, that was one of the things I had my teams do every time I took a different team to New York. Mm-hmm. But we, at that time, we didn't realize what benefit it really was. A lot of it was just so that we could go back and recall all of our experiences. But every night we yes. go back to our hotel after being in the pit or at the landfill, everybody sure. wrote their own stuff. And I, it's funny because I found my notes, I don't know, a few years ago. And it was funny, I'm reading it and none of this is coming back to me. And I'm like, <laughs> who wrote this? And I don't, wow. you know, some things I remember, but other things I'm thinking, now, granted, I probably have dementia, as everybody tells me around here, but because um, I'm old, yeah, I know, whatever. <laughs> um, but it, it was really, and I think a lot of it was the ability to get it onto paper that the brain can let it go, and yes, it, it, it was just a very healing thing yes. that we didn't realize. You know, yes. another benefit that Cindy had was her husband was also a firefighter. Yes. So he understood the calls that you went to. You know, you guys could sit and talk about the bad calls because you guys didn't work directly together, but you could no, talk about not after Not after we came out as an item, we didn't. Right. <laughs> but, you know, I mean, that was a huge benefit because you could, you know, you could sit down yes. and talk to your husband and say, man, this call, you know, and you could get it out. I could. Yeah, he he ran some horrific things because he acted as a lieutenant and as an officer uh, on a fire truck uh, when uh, they made driver engineer rank. He was one of the first to pass and become a driver engineer. Brilliant, brilliant. And I say that not, I say it and I love him so much. We'll be married 33 years in uh, February, but we met on the job. Yeah. Congratulations. Yeah. And, That's he was, not very and he was one of the. 
he's one, yeah, and he's one of those guys that put the pencils under the bed. <laughs> <laughs> Have you gotten even with him? Tell me you've gotten even. There's still time. Well, many times, many times. Yeah. <laughs> girl. But, girl. <laughs> but he, but it was, it was beneficial. Um, and he would also, I would say he would be, he's my biggest advocate. And he could be my biggest critic. Sure. But yeah. especially when I came at when I became an officer mm-hmm. and I was unsure of things. And I was, you know, I would bounce ideas off him or things that I thought I should do. And he would say, Oh hell no, you can't do that to those guys. Why <laughs> can't do that? <laughs> and, what? But you know and, um, you wrote about this in your book, and it had to have been kind of strange. You you know where your husband's working at, and you hear this bad call that you know he's working. And so, how how do you keep your mind from spinning out of control about worrying about him? I mean, you know, it's that's just natural. I trusted him, but I used to, you know, as you know, when you have an incident, you go to another channel. Right. Of course, everybody goes. It's supposed to be a secret channel. It's not a secret channel. Everybody goes. <laughs> so yeah, I would listen to his calls, and I would listen, and I would, you know, there he had some really bad fires, right. really bad calls, and he also was on an airboat in the Everglades for like eight years wow. because we have a station out there. And you know, guess what? When people are crazy on an airboat, they're having a medical problem, or they're drinking, or whatever, or it's the middle of the night. Guess who has to go out there in the airboat, get off the airboat, and rescue them? <laughs> and there are a few alligators so, yeah. down yeah. there too. I've been on yeah, those yeah. airboats in the Everglades. Do what you think? Yes, yeah. yes. Yeah, there's a little bit of so, stuff kind of floating yeah, there's around, a bit of, swimming exactly. around. Yeah, yeah. There's there's no, creatures out there for yeah. sure. It's uh, and so, the fire, but then yeah. playing with now them. we got to put yeah. the alligators right. in snake with right. And an alligator alley is a horrible highway. It used to be two lanes. Now it's four lane, but it, you know the accidents going yeah. from Naples it, it, straight across. So, but but long story short, he I trusted him. I knew he was so smart, but I always you know I listened to him, sure. and I would always breathe a sigh of relief when I when I heard the call. Um, you know, reach such an engine returning yeah. the quarters, sure. and I'd be like, now I would ask him. I'd say, uh, you know, did you listen to that call again? No. I didn't. He goes, I, he goes, I trust. He goes, there's nothing I can do about it anyway. Yeah, that's true. Why would I listen? And I thought that's, that's just, you know, he was cool and calm like that. All right, Cindy, I'm going to put our producer on the spot here. Cause he's passing us a question. Here's a chance for you to educate the baby here. Go ahead. Go ahead, Joel. Hey, Cindy. So I was just wondering, um, being somewhat of an editor myself, where I got to monitor these guys every once in a while. Uh, but, you know, I was curious when you're talking about that whole process, is there anything that was taken out by the editor that, you know, you wish that you had the opportunity to share? Uh, there were, there, there were a few things that I felt, um, you know, I, there were, there were, in, there were a couple of instance instances uh, where I worked with, uh, women that they wanted to be the only woman in the firehouse Mm -hmm. and so they weren't very kind Mm -hmm. and so there there was one in particular and I kind of wrote about it and it was like no you can't put that in there that'll be negative to women but I felt like it was kind of an important thing um there was an instant uh another situation when I was a kid you know growing up uh uh my my parents had friends that uh Love, love the, love the parents, but all their kids were just, they had either done time in prison and they had, you know, they were just mean kids. And we, my brother and I hated them. We never hung out with them, but my parents, I love their parents, but there were some things I wrote about with, with them, their different instances. Cause every kid, uh, 
their their first son, who was much older than me, done tours in Vietnam, and he was MIA like twice. Wow. And this is their oldest son. He comes home and uh, you know proceeds to uh, kill his wife, his mother in law, and then shoots himself in the driveway. Man. Wow. And then their other son uh, ended up uh, having it out with his wife. And they had another son that had gotten out of prison. And he worked with my father. Uh, well, the other son worked with my father. And he actually uh, shot his wife in the driveway. And uh, basically, you know, basically all kinds of all, the family had all these problems and they were the sweetest, sweetest parents you know what i mean so i wrote about how that affected me um that these parents were so great they used to take me when my parents would get into a fight they would take me in and take me to their house and feed me sloppy joes on wonder bread that i thought was the best tasting stuff in the world um and as far as on the job there were a few things i put in there about you know uh situations i had that you know i i kind of had to rewrite them in a way that uh and some of them made it into the book and some of them didn't so um i you know going back to the hazing stuff when i was reading your book i thought this one instance was a hazing but then i realized well no this chief is making the whole crew do this and i thought it was funny that you gave you he gave you an option of where you could go pick up your paycheck oh yes (laughs) so you could either go give blood or go to the strip club huh Yes. And, you know, that was one that I fought to keep in the book. The editor (laughs) didn't want me to keep it in the book. No. And I said, you have to understand that we were grown women. And the other woman was, a. I mean, we we were grown women. We were in our 30s. She was late 20s. I was 31 when I got hired. Um, I was 30 and I turned 31 two months later. So anyway, um, yeah, he was this old crusty chief from New York, he had, and he came down, and that's the joke. They all come from New York, and they come down to Florida to become battalion chiefs. So he had a—he wasn't my chief; he was her chief. But he had a thing. He was uh, into—you know—they—that's when you got your actual paycheck, right? And so you had a choice, you know, give blood or go to the strip club. And of course, uh, the other woman and me—we were like, we'll go to the strip club. We don't care. What do we care? So we would go there, and if, and it was the funniest thing. It was every other Thursday. And of course, the the strippers knew. Oh man, the firefighters are coming in, sure. and it was like, like I said, shooting fish in a barrel, because <laughs> they would sit there for you know, and, and it was fun. It, we didn't we didn't care, and they would yeah. try to you know, we would, we would sit there. We got to actually talk to the strippers and ask them all the girly stuff that you ask as a woman, and the guys would laugh and try to buy us <laughs> private dances or you know think they were gonna like yeah, you know, you. Uh, embarrass us. Right. And we're like, we don't care what we care. We're women. Everybody needs a job. Yes. <laughs> huh. Yeah. So we fun. were we were fine with that, and it wasn't hazing. It, yeah. I mean, we, right. You know, today's world, uh, the Me Too, and all of the things that are going on in today's world, sure. it, that kind of stuff never would have flown. Oh no, it no, never no. would have. No, no, no I mean, no. even you know, I started in '94 in the police, okay. and you know, we did things back then that. No, you just, you don't do now. There's no way, no, you know, but no, and no. not all of it was bad. You know, a lot of it was just good, fun humor. Um, but That's you know, it's right. taken right. a lot differently now. So uh, is, I mean, I think the me too movement and all of that, I think it's, you know, obviously there are a lot of things that were so inappropriate that I'm so glad that women have the ability and the voice to speak up. Right. 
On the flip side, um, and, and let men know, hey, I always say draw your line in the sand of what's going to be appropriate for you yeah. and speak up. Don't just have the guy get a letter from HR saying, hey, come down and see us. <laughs> be honest. Yeah. And right. but, but I do think there are some things today to me. Uh, I just think, gosh, everybody needs to lighten up a little bit. Exactly. Right. And and, and realize you're you're we're all human beings, yeah. uh, unless it's like grossly uh inappropriate uh bordering harassment or whatever. Um, come on. I mean, I just think people, especially in jobs like that, I guess. Right. You know, but I hear guys things say things and I would say, No, don't you're not doing that. Don't say that. You, you know, go out in the bay and do that. You just said grossly inappropriate, and that made me think about one of the stories that you wrote about in your book um, about the sex house that caught on fire. <laughs> I was, oh, that I was, was cracking up there. laughing about that. <laughs> I mean, for our listeners, you have to explain that story. Um, well, it came in as a structure fire, and of course, we're all thrilled because you see smoke showing, and um, <laughs> we get there, and some pretty sketchy looking people mulling around and um you know we go in the hose line and start putting this thing out and you know we kind of look around you know i mean you're kind of seeing all these uh you know sex toys and <laughs> dump and mannequins with uh you know appendages and you know we put the fire out and of course you have to do salvage and overhaul we're dragging and, and you know the more the fires put out your your doors are open, you're ventilated, and you can right. really see what it is. You're like, oh my god! You know, <laughs> it, 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 you know, there's 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 sex toys and mannequins um, hanging from the showers, <laughs> and you know, I'm like, oh my god, what is this? And guys, this is a sex house. And then you start putting it together with uh, the people that are mulling around on the yeah. outside. And so, you know, we're packing up the hose and I talk about it. My lieutenant at the time, just, you know, just gorgeous young guy, smart. Uh, he he was just, you know, where he's up packing the hose and you see the people and they're all like, they're they're sexually making uh, innuendos to all of us. It's like about, you know, right? <laughs> oh, they were catcalling and telling us all kinds of things. And, you know, you have a job to do. So you're not really, you know, right. just, we're just kind of looking at each other going, okay, let's get this hose packed up and this equipment cleaned quick. Yeah, let's get but, out of here. But uh, <laughs> let's get out of here. So that was my experience. Well, then, uh, uh, you know, the house caught on fire uh, two more days. The third day, it burnt to the ground. But all three shifts, my husband got to see it, I think, the next shift, next day. Is... Yeah. So all three shifts got to see the sex house. Yeah. yeah. I don't I don't really want to know what was happening that caused a fire three times, you know? <laughs> yeah, I, I, I don't know. I don't know anything about it. All I can say is I was on it and everybody else was on it. He was on it. And we all talked about it like, wow. Yeah, that's kind of crazy. Um, yeah. 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 Um, one of the other things that you um, talked about was when you were waiting for your retirement ceremony to happen, you're kind of milling around and looking at everything and kind of a lot of emotions come back right then. Yes. Yeah. Yes. I bet. I know when I retired, yes. I was like, I was thinking right before I walked into it and I'm thinking, man, just hold it together. You've You've seen a lot, experienced a lot. Just enjoy this you know i think what happens is uh i don't know if you had this experience but i talk about it we had we had uh uh we had this app on our phones and it showed a guy in a hammock with a beer 
<laughs> and yeah. it had the the hour, you know, had the countdown year, the month, the time. Yeah. It was countdown to retirement yeah. And yeah. up to the second. Yeah. And as time went on, we would all pull it out. You know, we're having coffee. You know, we lived in the firehouse. We're, we're all, how much time do you have? And, and, and you know, you look at that. Um, it's kind of funny when I think about it now. You look at it and you see a bright white light and you think, oh, it's going to be so great. No more getting up. No more right. this. No more. Yeah. You know, we got up at 430 in the morning, got on the road at 530 to make it to Lauderdale for our shift at eight. So, you know, just all of that. And then when, and I wanted the whole retirement ceremony. Um, a lot of people do not. Right. You have the choice. You can just get your badge and walk away. Right. I, I said, I worked for this. I exactly. want this. I earned that. And I earned this. And, but you know, that last, you know, I had been to everybody else's retirement <laughs> ceremony yeah. where you stand there and you watch them and their family comes yeah. and they, you know, it's very emotional for them. Right. Well, when it's your time, you just kind of, you know, let me hold it together. Right. And, and like I said, I, I kind of, you know, had all of these emotions and I'm waiting for it to begin. And, you know, the battalion chief was uh, so great and said, relax, you earn this. And then when I looked over in the crowd and I call Mark, my special beacon of light <laughs> and he is, and always has been. Yeah. And so I, I look at that and I looked over at him, took a big breath and I knew everything was going to be all right. right. Yeah. But it is, it's funny how, how emotional, you know, you start thinking about all the things that you did and experienced over your career and all yes. the people that you came in contact with. I mean, it's just, yes. it's, it's a yes. career field, that's for sure. It, it's a wonderful career. And and again, I don't candy coat it. Uh, it's not for everyone. Right. Um, I would have people come in uh, that were either going to paramedic school and needed ride time or going to fire school, or, uh, they basically were volunteers and needed to get some time in. And I could tell in about five minutes whether they were going to be worth a damn or not. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. Seriously. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I could. Susan and I, we go out every once in a while and we teach out at the, um, police academy. And yeah, I mean, when you're looking and talking to the recruits, it's like, you know, which ones are going to do very well and you know which ones are going to be struggling and probably shouldn't continue but right you know I give them a lot of credit because you know what I I feel like I kind of had an inside scoop of maybe what that career was going to be like sure. with my uh, former boyfriend I mean he would talk about you know he would talk about the hydrants and the colors and then we'd go to the station and he'd talk about you know the trucks and and so I kind of had that idea right. but not that I wanted to do it and like I said, it found me. I had, kids, I had young people come in that they basically, I don't know if they're, they just said, oh, I think I'm going to try this. And, you know, they, they either, they, they come in and, and they've never, they don't know anything about it. Right. And so they come in with uh, not knowing anything about it. And you really can tell whether they realize this is for them or not. Yeah, and, for and, sure. And, and some of them, they're so great. And they've gone on to become officers. Mark and I had a lot of kid, people's kids that would come to us. And some of them are now officers. And, and it's been great. But other ones would come in. And I thought, man, you just spent so much money. Because it is expensive now. It's not like the $100 yeah, when right, I started. Yeah. Uh, or paramedic school. You know, I went to a community college, private college. I can't even tell you how expensive it is. It, it, I, it's amazing to me. But to spend that kind of money and not really, really 
know what it's all about. I think, wow, yeah. you know, either either fantastic for you, you're jumping into it, or man, you just spent a lot of money and you're exactly. de- you're definitely not going to make it. You're not going to last. <laughs> yeah, I know it's kind of crazy, that's for sure. But you know, I, yeah. I'm, I'm, you know, you you were did a fantastic job in your career, and and the book was great. I really enjoyed reading it. My wife and I, we both read it. Um, sure. You know, and starting where you did um, in your humble beginnings, and then getting hired on and going through all that and making it all the way to captain. I mean, that's, that's, that's an amazing story. You know, 28 years, right? Is that what you said? 28 years. And the funny thing is I was always going to school, always taking tests, always promoted. (laughs) I was never number one. My husband was always the one, the top five. I was like always every two years, especially driver engineer. I tested for like 12 years and then Lieutenant, I acted, but long story short, uh, just, uh, to follow up is I was, uh, it was so funny because I was six months from retirement and I was on the battalion chiefs list. I decided I was going to take the test, uh, not the list, but the test to be, uh, come a battalion chief or on the list. So I'm all ready. And, you know, I'm like, okay, I'm, you know, I'm, going to be taking the written portion of the exam tomorrow morning in Fort Lauderdale. My husband and I were driving to a craft beer bar to get a beer the <laughs> afternoon before. Like I need a beer. So we're driving and, and the phone rings and Captain Schoonerball, we're just calling here to confirm that you will be sitting in for the battalion chief's test tomorrow morning at eight o'clock in Fort Lauderdale. I held that phone up and I took a big breath <laughs> I looked around, I looked at my husband, I looked around, I went, uh, no, sir, uh, please remove me from the list. Please remove me from the test. Uh, I will not be going. I will not be there tomorrow. And I hung up the phone and I looked at Mark and Mark looked at me. I felt the weight of the world finally lift from my shoulders. And he looked at me and he went, (laughs) Good job. <laughs> awesome. Wow. Because I because if I would have had more time on, I would have gone for it because I just had that drive. Yeah. But honestly, being a captain was the best because I was still on the trucks and I was still yeah. in the house and I wasn't driving around in like the mail truck. Like they, yeah. they called them the mailman. Uh, that's what they called chiefs. It's true. Yeah. But uh, um but, you know, I was really glad I did that. And, and it was funny because the last six months. I enjoyed it more, I think, I believe, because I just knew there was no more going to school or, yeah. you know, no more like looking at the next thing, the next right. thing, the next yeah. thing. Sure. Well, there was light at the end of the tunnel then, sure. you know. Sure. There was. You know, there I, was. I always yeah. liked fire. Um, always had a good time with all the fire people. We would razz each other. and But <laughs> on, on the calls, I loved them when they got there. Sure, you um, didn't have to do the message. And, right, and there was did. no problem letting fire get there first. Sure. Especially if I knew oh. there was, you know. Blood and blood guts, and guts everywhere. They can do that job. I remember oh, one yeah. call. I, I got a call from a, from a guy. I was still in patrol, so early in my career. And it, and the call came out basically that the guy's son was laying on the footsteps of the front door and he was bleeding. And that's all the call said. And so I, I arrive on scene first and I walk up and there's sure enough, there's this kid. He's probably about 20 years old and he's laying face down on his stomach and he's right on the doorstep front door and there's blood all around him. And I'm looking at him. I'm like, I don't see any blood. So I asked him, I said, are you OK? And he's like, yeah, I think so. And I'm like, okay, where are you bleeding from? And he says, my neck. And he's kind of laying, laying uh, kind of at an angle to me. And he's kind of looking at me, um, you know, and I'm like, 
okay, who did this to you? And he said, I did. And I said, okay. I said, where's the cut at? I don't see it. Well, then he looked away from me. Oh, boy. And his neck starts gushing. Gushing blood spurting. Oh, out of oh, I said, that's I said hey, look back yeah. towards me again. And he didn't. Yeah. Like, I need fire right uh, away. Yes, yes. Yeah, and put don't direct you pressure know, on that. Crazy yeah, that's all. a bad one. That, that would be, yeah, that's a bad call there. He, he went into yeah. his father's garage and decided he wanted to kill himself so he took a little four inch grinder to his neck but it wouldn't go oh all there you the go because oh of the guard God. yeah oh, oh, was, oh yeah people, yeah Indeed. it looked like a homicide yeah. scene inside the garage I'm <laughs> right like, oh, i bet still alive <laughs> yeah, yeah well then they decide maybe it's they're not they don't want to you know if they don't yeah, yeah. Right, that happened yeah. yep that yep. hurt. That <laughs> I know. Yeah. Yeah. Good boy. I'm yeah. Fire. He needs you. Real fast. Yeah. I'll just stand <laughs> back here. Let's step it up. That's right. Step it up. Step it up. <laughs> well, Cindy, when is the new book coming out? Do you know? Just barely started working on it because, again, I'm here promoting this one, and I'm. Uh, they told me you know, give it a year, and and I laugh because um, uh, people will say. Oh, Oh, you're going to be rich and famous. I go, well, no, I'm not rich and I'm not famous. Uh, and I didn't write it for either of those things. Sure. Uh, however, being rich would be nice. Sure. Um, uh, the famous part, I always say, well, you know what? If, if I get some notoriety out of it, at least it will be for something that I accomplished. Right. And, and not because I went on TikTok and did a little dance. <laughs> you know, so I always laugh at people. Yeah, but that helps. Uh, oh, yeah. Go ahead. Yeah, that'll help. Yeah. <laughs> when Tom does that, it'll help. <laughs> but I do, I, I'm promoting I'm promoting Sister and a Brotherhood, and we'll see what happens with that. But in the meantime, I'm like, I'm, I'm thinking of other things. I, I had written a children's book that was down the line that I think it might be a really cute, cute I little story it. for, you know, four to six. And, and it's basically... Um, it's basically a, uh, a town full of uh, animals and uh, uh, a little boy sees uh, uh, smoke and sees uh, uh, he, he actually started a fire and he burnt down the bird family's house. And so he gets assigned uh, a thousand hours of community service, which, you know, as you know, that's what happened to kids. We're in trouble. They come to the fire station for community service. And so he uh, he gets a thousand hours. And of course, all the firefighters, they're all animals. <laughs> and so he and humans. But he gets to run the calls with them and learn their discipline and long story short it's a story about all of that learning discipline and then uh he he does his community time and he's leaving and he sees uh smoke in the area and sees another little kid with a match <laughs> so that's kind of the premise of the children's book and that's down the road but i wrote that as well well i have to know are there any uh, but, german shepherds in that book you better believe it <laughs> you better believe it. that's right indy bears the driver there Andy you go. Bear was my he was my first German Shepherd. Absolutely. Go. Well, if yeah. you need a female, but, um, Heidi is a good name for a German Shepherd who's a female. I'm thinking Heidi might be the officer. You know, <laughs> of course. <laughs> <laughs> but that, you know, I have all these ideas. But uh, the thing about the PTSD book, I I'm I feel very um, uh, passionate about that because so many people have reached out, and I do want to reach out to other people and say, hey. Send me your stuff. I'm not using names. I don't think that's important. Right. Uh, I don't want to do that to anybody. But I also want to uh, frame it in a way that it's not like that. You know, nobody wants, most people don't want to read a book that's just, every story is such a horrific thing that you're like, feel terrible. I, I want to shape it and take the time to um, work on that. Well, but in the meantime, you know, the sister and the brotherhood, I, I, I hope, I hope 
helps some people, does some things, get out there. And, and a friend of mine said, who's going to play you in the screenplay? And I'm like, huh? <laughs> but, you know, it's a good read. It's it's easy reading. It flows really nice. Um, the stories Thank are you. great. Um, Thank I'm, you. Really I'm proud it. of it. You know, I'm, I'm not a big on fire like I don't want to run into a building that ha- that's on fire. No, nope. thank you. Mm-hmm. I, I'll deal with a guy that has a gun. That's fine with me. I, sure. I can understand that. Yeah, and, and I'm the degrees of crazy here <laughs> in public safety. Yeah. That's right. That's but, yeah, and then we really and I appreciate book, you yeah. too. Well, thank you. I always said it's not war and peace, uh, but uh, you know, thing. and it's not. It's not Hemingway, but you know it, it's a it's a read that I hope is enjoyable and descriptive, and yes. uh, that's that's the kind of writer that I am. I want to put you in a situation exactly. where you can see everything, and, and you can see uh, really everything about the person or the thing that I'm writing about. Yeah. And you know, Cindy, as we start to wrap things up here too, um, you know, anybody you come in contact with that you feel like is still really suffering especially since people are reaching out to you with PTSD, mm-hmm. you know, always feel free to give them our number and give them our information. Um, you know, whether they're retired or not doesn't matter. That right. they, they don't have to be active yeah. service. Police, fire, EMT, paramedics, their families, whoever, mm-hmm. you know, feel free to, because sometimes they just need a, a different kind of resource. And we're the I only appreciate that. doing what we do in the country. Um, I appreciate that because they have. And, and and actually, you know, it's such an important thing. Again, uh, I had a friend explain to me, I'm like, you know, we were told to suck it up. And you think we're not soldiers. We're not military. And he says to me, Cindy, my psychiatrist explained it to me this way. Soldiers have tours mm-hmm. and they do so many. Yes. We have 30 years of constant. Yep. And he said it's a completely different thing, not to negate, you know, soldiers. I mean, I can't even imagine the adrenaline that you're under all the time because you're always in fear of your life. Sure. We are not that. That isn't the situation that we work in. Well, you never go to the battlefield. You always go back to it. You just always go back to it and you don't know what it's going to entail. And so it's a different type of. PTSD, obviously. So um, that kind of put a new perspective on it for me. I thought, okay, you know, it, maybe it, you know, it is important to maybe put this together. And and of course, I'm my husband and I are both, you know, really big on helping those who are less fortunate than ourselves. Uh, because, like I said, my mother, my mother, just a quick story. She was so poor, and we were poor. But she used to uh, they called them hobos back in the day. She made water biscuits and gravy, and she would always make extra and put it in a little. Uh, bowl and put it on the back porch steps for the hobos that would come to the air, um, come by. My grandmother so has grown up, similar stories. Yes. Yeah. I, yeah. So I, I, I've always grown up, uh, you know, giving and, you know, I, I, every year now I, I've done this for years. I, I take all the toiletries from hotels and things and I put together male and female, you know, shampoo. Cause I always think if you don't have anything, a bar of soap or some shampoo or a little lotion, that's a big deal. Sure. Right. What a great I put it together idea. And I, yeah. yeah. And so I, I wanted to kind of name it and, and put that into something. I haven't done it yet, but uh, I've done it for homeless. Uh, I, I did it. Now I'm doing it for um, um, abused women and teens. Uh, and I did it for senior citizens for years. And I'd have like 75 bags, you know, and I'd pay the maid, hey, can you leave extra? And I always, had, and so I do that. And I think it's important. Exactly. I just think it's important to be a good human. You know, we need to do that. Well, we need I, to be kinder and, today. And I think you have to look at your background and how you grew up that led you to probably do the things that you do and be the caregiver. And, you know, we always talk it under the shield about, 
uh, Maslow's hierarchy of needs changed from the top being um, self-actualization, someone added another one on top of that called transcendence. And it's where you get to a better place and you reach down and help someone else to that place. And absolutely. And that, you know, I think sometimes you have to have the background you have and each one of us has something in our in our psychological mm -hmm. garbage can that leads us to help others. And it mm -hmm. makes us better for it. It doesn't mean we're well. And you know, I have people all the time that I'll ask to be a stress coach and they go, Susan, I, I have too much work to do. And I go, we all do. <laughs> we should all strive sure. to be better tomorrow sure. than we are today. Yeah. And you do That's that. That's part of the learning process, I think. You yeah. heal in helping others when mm -hmm. you have the same level of understanding. So all of Absolutely. your background and everything led you to become the firefighter and the, the person that you are today. And, you know, at, at Under the Shield, we appreciate our first responders, public safety, military, and their families so much for all the sacrifices you make. I, I don't think the public truly understands all those sacrifices and it's part of why i started this company 30 years ago um, and we have to continue and as things continue to to deteriorate it seems like yes. in that vein we gotta we gotta keep fighting this to support them and make yes. sure that we have yes um and we're providing just what's needed I think that you do such important work, and I'm I'm really grateful for that. I will definitely think about that for anyone who reaches out to me, sure. uh, as well as you know anyone who that should. But yeah, I had uh, I did another interview, uh, and the reporter it was a t television interview, and she she said something like, "Oh, but you know everybody thinks you're professional. You're you're just so glamorous as a firefighter." And I'm like, "Well, not really. I mean, of course we're eye catching, and of course we do a job that." You know, I talk about that, you know, going in the grocery stores and, you know, that the people, especially when they see a woman or the, all the guys, some of the gorgeous young guys would be on my truck. And, you know, I use that to an advantage for 911 calls when being an old, older, elderly person, female, she's scared to death. She's called 911, it's three in the morning and she's scared. And I come in with these guys that really do look like calendar, but being say, look, look got up for you. Yeah. We're here to help you. Look at these gorgeous guys and me. We're here to help you. We're gonna we're gonna take good care of you. Now she calls you every day. Yeah, okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Good plan, Cindy. We had some of those too, actually. But but anyway, um, you know, as far as glamorous, um it, we're not a TV show. No, that's no, all I say. It's, Darn, it's, you're telling me not. you're not like Chicago Fire. Come on now, you're killing my vision here. <laughs> you know what? Actually, uh, that's probably the most realistic one of all. That's what and I always say Mark Severide and I'm Stella. Yeah. <laughs> hey, there you go. Atta girl. Way to pick them. I'm with you. <laughs> well, Cindy, thank you so uh, much for your time. And uh, I'm sure you. we'll have you back on, especially if you put yeah. a children's book or another book. We'd love to have you back out. Exactly. And we will certainly well, thank have you. your book advertised in the body. Thank Joelle, you. you're making a note on all of that. And uh, any other information that you'd like for us to have? You got all that down over there, Mr. Joel? Yeah. Um, Cindy, if you want to let us know, where could we find your book right now? Where's it out at? Uh, I have I have a website called sisterinabrotherhood.com, and that lists, uh, you can listen to the podcast and everything. I'm hoping yours will be on there and sure. all the things that are going on, but uh, it directs you to Amazon. If you don't have that, um, 
you know, Book Nook or Apple, you can go on that, but Amazon directs you to, to be able to get it. It's in Kindle version as well as paperback. Uh, people have asked me about audio, and that's just a whole other thing that I'm not prepared to do. Come on, uh, I need your audio book because I have to listen to it in my car when I'm I know, I know. People have asked me, and I asked my editor about it, and she said, well, it's a whole other animal. And then people say, well, who are you going to get to to narrate? And I said, me. You. Please do. I don't like books where the author doesn't because I think you miss the true inflection of what right, the author right. means. And I, I think. I, you got to do it. Don't let somebody else do that. Uh-uh. But if somebody, if it's, it just depends. And again, people don't realize, you know, it's a monetary thing, to be perfectly honest with you. You know, it's not like I have, you know, somebody buying 50,000 books, you know, uh, Oprah, if you're out there, Oprah Book Club. <laughs> You'll take her funding, absolutely. Oprah, please, please, or, or some of the big people that, that that might want to be interested. I got a I got an excellent review from uh, the Midwest Book Review. Nice. And they put out there that every academy, every school, you know, every library should have this book. And it was such a wonderful review. And I'm thinking, well, maybe somebody else can it just takes one person sure. that sure. knows somebody that knows somebody. Absolutely. So, but Amazon, Amazon, or my website is where you can find it. Okay. And uh, I'm just, I'm just thankful that it's out and that I did it. And the people are, people are responding to it in a positive way. Terrific. And thank you. Well, again, here at Under the Shield, as we wrap this edition up, we thank you for your time and your openness and willingness to share your story and your book. And for those that are listening, if you are struggling in any way as a first responder, public safety, military, family members, please reach out to us at 855-889-2348. If you hit extension one, um, you will get one of us, uh, a stress coach at Under the Shield, and we do not have your phone number. So should you get disconnected, you have to call us back. Right. Um, but the whole point is to remain anonymous. We will not ask you your name. We will not. We may ask fire or law enforcement, paramedic, EMT. We want to make sure you're talking to a coach in your specific right. uh, profession. And uh, But other than that, there's no identifying information. There's no notes. We are not mandated reporters. That's very important. Uh, there is a difference in confidentiality and anonymity. We are 100% anonymous. And uh, we aren't going to refer you out like so many things are. Uh, you can call us if you're suicidal. We have some real natural ways of helping you because right. sometimes you don't realize what's causing it. And we have dealt with this more times than we would uh, ever have thought that we'd have to. But again, that number, that toll-free number is 855-889-2348. That's a 24-7 don't take holidays. Don't work Monday through Friday. No. I wouldn't know how to work nine to five Monday through Friday. I'd get in trouble. Um, my cell number, if you want to talk to me directly, is 334-324-3570. And if you want to talk to me, um, you can reach me on my cell at 480-861-6574. And again, we thank you, uh, all first responders, military and families, for the sacrifices that you make. Um, the public really has no concept. They may think they do, but watching Chicago Fire and Chicago PD ain't going to give it to you nope. from the family's perspective. So families, reach out to us. It's a completely safe way to reach out without fear of any kind of retribution on your spouse's job. Uh, we also have somebody who specializes in working with kids and, and teens of first responders. 
And again, Cindy, thank you for your service. That's a uh, that's amazing. You got into a really male predominant world, <laughs> and you gave them hell, honey. Uh, you make women proud. <laughs> thank you. I hope so. I just hope for the next generation. You know, step up. I mean, it's step up. It's a wonderful, wonderful. It's a. I hate to say career because it's. It's a passion and a calling, and and you make a difference in other people's lives, yes. and that will be worth it. Yeah, uh, that's worth it in my opinion. So, God so bless, thank you so much. God bless each of you. God bless your families and this great nation that we live in. Reach out to us, please, if you need any help at all, and um, stay tuned for our next podcast that's a mystery to all of us right at the moment but um it'll be something interesting we can promise you that much even if it's another trip i've been on that was the trip from hell um i'll always share my stories so yeah you and your trips yep so and and now you're bringing me on those oh absolutely i'm afraid i'm sharing (laughs) I, i believe in sharing absolutely um so take care stay safe and we will look forward to uh being back next week